1: Hello Trojan fans and welcome to another exciting episode of the Peristyle Podcast. A very special episode. This is a Trojan Blast recruiting podcast. We're bringing back Gerard Martinez, USCfootball.com national recruiting analyst to talk about USC Trojan recruiting. I know we've been focused on spring football for the past couple of weeks, but there's still been a bunch of stuff going on with recruiting. We have a lot of questions to get to, so we want to get Gerard on the line and chat with him about recruiting. What's up, Gerard? How you doing?
2: Doing okay. Fighting the cold, you know, getting stranded in East L.A. We had a tire blowout at 11 o'clock at night. Just uh, good times here at the uh, Martinez ready.
1: <laughs> well, we feel bad for you with the tires, man. You had that The time you were late coming into uh, the live show when that huge fire was on the freeway. And the <laughs> that, there. that
2: was funny because I was talking to the tow truck driver about that and how that was such a massive pain in the butt for everybody in Southern California that day. And he said that was a great time for business. So uh, Mr. <laughs> Romeo at at uh, at RenoWheel slash AAA Inner City Towing was my man. He gave me a, a, a ride home all the way from East LA to the IE. So it was cool. I, I you know usually you know sometimes the, the, the tow truck drivers are you know at that time of night they're not really uh, in the conversation. But uh, me and DJ Romeo had a good time. I was tweeting the whole time uh, as I got towed out there to the IE. <laughs>
1: All right. Yeah. If you want to follow Gerard on Twitter, Gmart live on Twitter, uh, you can follow me at inside Troy. I don't know if there's a lot of Twitter users out there in the Peristyle podcast land, but Gerard's a a late adapter, but he's been uh, doing a really good job on it, enjoying his uh, tweets out there.
2: Yeah. I wouldn't say a really good job. I, I, uh, (laughs) I kind of come and go with Twitter. It's, it's still an afterthought for me. It's not, uh, you know, it's, you know, when I have idle hands, which is not very often, unfortunately. But, you know, with uh, recruiting starts to pick up and things start to become a little more interesting, you know, definitely keep people up to date on what's going on. It's been pretty quiet. You know, last week coaches were off, didn't have anything going on with recruiting or team stuff. And so uh, it was kind of one of those dead weeks um, as far as uh, football goes. But um, it's one of the few and far between dead weeks that uh, we have uh, even in the offseason at USC.
1: Yeah, not, not too much. Uh, it never, never really slows down. Uh, but for recruiting, you know, during spring ball, the coaches kind of have to focus on that, especially with the new coaches. So I think after spring ball completes, it seems like the coaches are going to just hit the road for six, seven weeks or something like that. And I think things will pick up quite a bit.
2: Yeah, the coaches, I mean, that's the other thing. I mean, they're just trying to adapt to the game plan and, and how practices go. And we had Team Martin on our live show uh, last week, and you know, he talked about you know that that break being really good for him, just because it gave him a chance to kind of settle in and, and kind of take a step back from everything. I mean, just driving and and moving out here from, uh, you know, Kentucky and, and still living in, you know, the Radisson and, and just, you know, so much transition going on. And I know, uh, you know, with Marvin Sanders also, you know, he's trying to get the defense down and trying to, you know, make sure he understands calls and, and are trying to get on the same page with Monty Kiffin. There's just a lot of transition that has to go on. And there's the, that same transition is going to go on with uh, you know, the recruiting process as well. These guys are taking on new regions. Um, they're starting to do different things in terms of trying to make connections. You know, there's been some shifts as far as who's recruiting recruiting where for USC so you know a lot of this stuff that uh, the coaching staff has to go through a transition as well and start to get to know some of the connections and some of the context that they have per region all
1: right well let's jump into these questions Gerard we had uh, two kind of on the same topic um, JJB wants to know is USC going to pursue T Shepard now that he has left Notre Dame and here's another question from our friend Miguel Hey, Ryan, it's
2: Miguel. I got a question for Gerard. I wanted to know um, about T. Shepard. Uh, can USC get on him since he left uh, Notre Dame? And another question about North Carolina. Are uh, the juniors eligible to transfer like they did with uh, USC? I was looking at some defensive tackle, Tiger Powell, Sylvester Williams. Those guys are good. You know, maybe USC can get in on them.
1: Thank you very much, that.
2: I haven't really heard anything on T. Shepard at this point. I know what complicates matters for him in USC has to be the way that he handled the recruiting process at the 11th hour. He was supposed to be an early enrollee, so he kind of jammed together his official visit uh, to uh, to USC just late in the process and was still committed to Notre Dame. And, you know, after that visit, I think he gave the implication to USC that he was really serious about USC. He had said publicly that, you know, USC really gave him a lot to think about. But at that point, you know, from the official visit to the in-home visit, he pretty much went underground. And it was really hard for anybody to gather kind of what he was thinking. Um, You know, USC was in a real tight spot because, you know, with those early enrollees, that obviously allowed them to get more than 15 scholarships into that 2012 class. So you're waiting on the kid, and you're trying to figure out, you know, can we go on somebody else? Is this a guy that we're going to get in as an early role lead? Obviously it would have been a big deal to get him away from Notre Dame at that point. Then you had Deontay Greenberry, which complicated matters further because Deontay Greenberry wanted to play with T. Shepard, Deontay Greenberry being the 6'2", 195-pound receiver from Fresno. Those two cousins talked about being a package deal, and obviously with Deontay Greenberry – I think USC was less interested in him. I think it was obviously, um, you know, they understood that the, that the two wanted to play together. But when you had Nelson Aguilar already, you know, looking at USC seriously, you had Darius Rogers already committed. They would have taken three at the end of the day. And this was, you know, I, I think kind of right around the time where we're starting to hear about Kyle Prater, Uh, maybe leaving the program and obviously I think Bryce Butler was a guy that they knew were going to leave the program so there was possibly some room there but I think with Deontay Greenberry just personally you know his track record just kind of a kind of a strange cat you know a different kind of guy and I think USC was real hesitant with that obviously what he did on signing day by turning around and going to Houston, while it was probably a shock to many, I think it was kind of par for the course as far as Deontay Greenberry goes and kind of how he handled the process. I think that's exactly why USC wasn't so sure about him. So you had that complication with T. Shepard. T. Shepard played it up at the very end. You know, he, And, and, and there was a, there was where he went underground, didn't say anything, and all of a sudden you know, publicly he pops up and says, you know, I'm, I'm really still considering USC, I'm not sure. And then at the same time he's saying that to the media, He's not talking to USC. So I think they felt string along about that a little bit, and I think they weren't necessarily real comfortable with how T. Shepherd handled the recruiting process. That may affect you know, what they want to do with him in terms of transfer. Obviously, USC was a second school in that equation. It was Notre Dame and it was USC. There really wasn't a lot of other programs that were involved with him. I thought maybe Oregon would get involved late. You know, I thought maybe Cal would get involved late. But, you know, T really, for the most part, it was just USC and Notre Dame. But like I said, I think USC's done a real good job bringing guys in that are USC caliber players, not just on the field but off the field. And there's got to be some question marks, maybe some red flags from the recruiting process about T Shepard. And I could foresee that maybe being an issue for USC and allowing him to transfer if they even had a spot open for him to transfer. Um, Now, with the North Carolina juniors to be seniors, from what I understand, everybody that's going to be a senior next year that would be eligible to actually play, or excuse me, uh, to, to, eligible to play in a bowl game if they were going to play in a bowl game, but can transfer because they're not, uh, they're staying. North Carolina site, Tar Heel Illustrated, actually did a, a story last week talking to all the seniors, and they were pretty adamant about not bailing on the team. There's been some controversy as to whether you know, it was even a question because you know it had to be a two-year bowl ban, for the NCAA to allow for that transfer rule. But uh, according to sources there in North Carolina, that those guys that would actually be eligible to play in a bowl game, those seniors to be, would be able to transfer, and hence the story. And in the story, they quoted several seniors on the team, and basically those guys were saying, you know, we're, we're going to stick it out. It sucks that we can't play in the postseason, but we still want to be here at UNC. So that's kind of a moot point, I guess, if those guys have already stated publicly that they definitely want to stay with the program.
1: All right, well, uh, thanks for that one, and let's see. Let's go to JJD in D.C. He wants to know about some of the top offensive line prospects in California, none of which have a USC offer yet. He mentions three guards, John Lopez, uh, Sean Harlow, and Colin Sutton, and then uh, three tackles, uh, Nico Fala, Eric Bunty and and Riley Sorensen.
2: Well, at this point, uh, Bunty's committed to UCLA, so that's kind of that uh, USC had offered him as a preferred walk- on, uh, but had not given him a scholarship at this point. Things may change you know down the road. maybe USC sees him as a guy that could be able to come in and, and give them some some run as an offensive tackle, and they may go ahead and offer him a scholarship. that may change his view on the recruiting process, but at this point he's uh, you know committed to UCLA. Uh, Nico follows probably the best local lineman we've seen at this point. Um, you know, still kind of a lot to, to evaluate and to see these guys more in person. Um, but he's a guy that, you know, I think very raw, but a guy that definitely talent wise is at least there.
0: Still question
2: whether or not he's really going to be a true offensive tackle. Um, maybe, you know, it could be a right tackle. I don't know if he's going to necessarily be that franchise left tackle that USC is looking for. It's a really down year uh, for offensive linemen. I shouldn't say really down year. It's probably just a a little below average, Um, but certainly when you compare to last year's class, which was phenomenal, it's a a really down year, and so there's really not a lot of those guys that are true left tackles bouncing around, and you go to the interior guys like Colin Sutton and John Lopez, you know, at this point, USC's recruiting them, but not very hard, I don't think they need another guy like that, they don't really need an offensive guard, they need somebody who can play offensive tackle, they need a true, you know, 6'6", 6'7", long-armed, offensive tackle, because that's really where they lack depth and they need to have somebody that can come in and be a kind of a true pass protector and has that kind of ability. It might be one of those years where they've got to find a Chad Wheeler, and that might be the number one guy on their board. Whereas last year, Chad Wheeler a three-year, a three-star recruit, and they kinda of bring him in under the radar, you know, as a defensive end guy that was, you know, listed as a three star defensive end by rivals, but USC looks at him as a guy that could be maybe Jacob Rogers. So it's gonna be that kind of year where they're they're trying to look for that guy that's that true offensive tackle, possibly maybe down the line. Um, if the numbers just aren't there and they've kinda go out of state and they just don't feel comfortable with, you know, one of these big time guys out of state as an offensive tackle, they come back in and a guy like Eric Bunty maybe gets scholarship offer. You know, Dan Crane's a guy that we've talked a lot about uh, as a, as an offensive uh, center, maybe a guard. That uh, people down there in Santa Margarita talk him up a lot. They talk him up a lot more than Eric Bunty in fact. And so he's a guy that me and maybe lower on the radar that could come in as a center prospect. And and USC likes him and they grow on him. It's going to be one of those years where they bring in a lot of guys to the camps and they really have to evaluate him in person. And when you get those guys in person and it's a low year, as far as numbers guys start to grow on you. I think Nico Fowler is a guy that has some possibility in terms of talent that way. And obviously Sean Harlow, you know, being the son of Pat Harlow, got some great bloodlines coming from uh, San Clemente, big Trojan fan, big Trojan area, even though Kyle Murphy, uh, the, the five-star office to tackle last year went to Stanford you know, San Clemente still definitely SC country. So, you know, Sean Harlow's definitely got a chance. He's kind of more of a guard also, though. You know, I think with he and Nico, that's where you get them into a camp. You kind of want to see, you know, their weaknesses. You want to put them out there on the island. You kind of want to see. You know, these guys legitimately play offensive tackle because really, you know, you get a lot of guys you get listed at 6'5 and 280, and, and that looks like, you know, okay, this guy could definitely grow into being an offensive tackle, but sometimes you got to see him in person and really get a feel, you know, for, for – for just their 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 body type and, and their frame and, and kind of if they're really legitimately gonna be able to to you know have that height and have that range to be able to play on the edge and and you know play against some of these really uber athletic offensive uh, or excuse me defensive uh, um, ends.
1: All right, uh, so that's a good overview of everything's going on in USC offensive line recruiting. Obviously, not not as good of a year like Gerard said from last year, but uh, we'll see what goes on there. Let's move on to Garrett from Seattle. He wants to know, what is the latest with Kenny Bigelow? There's been a lot happening at his high school that he's been attending with their football program being overhauled since last season. How does this affect his status with USC? Is he still attending Red Lion? Is USC still in contact with him? I think he is one of, if not the most important recruit for USC next year.
2: No, he will not be attending Red Lion Academy this year. He's actually going to be attending Eastern Christian Academy, which is in Maryland and not Delaware. Uh, Kenny Bigelow and uh, USC's 2015 commit, David Sills, the quarterback, are both going to be attending this high school in Maryland. So they had definitely some change there with them. From what I understand, basically Bigelow and Sills are still playing together. There's definitely – they're very close – um, the family are very close, and obviously by those guys both going and playing at a high school in Maryland <laughs> and leaving together, that kind of shows you they're going to be tight throughout the process. And I think that's definitely a good thing for USC because USC, you know, the first to be on Seals, had him committed for a while, being a quarterback, commit, and his dad being a coach at uh, Eastern Academy is also going to be a, a big deal in it. So basically, you know, talking to Bigelow and talking to him through the process of, of leaving his high school and, and going from Red Lion over to Eastern uh, Christian Academy, um, he basically put everything on, you know, David still Sr. and said, hey, you know, you got any questions about where I end up? And kind of the process of, of leaving Red Lion, you know, talk to Coach Sills. So that tells me that they're, they're pretty close. And, and, you know, as far as his recruitment goes, You know, I think Bigelow um, and Sills are are going to kind of be hand-in-hand throughout the process. Now, as far as, you know, how it affects USC and the recruitment of him, I think everybody just has to realize five-star defensive end, you know, one of the best players in the country, and he is you know, on the other side of the Mississippi. So the process is going to go on. I talked to Kenny just a couple weeks ago, um, talked to him about his move a little bit, and, you know, he he said, you know, I I got a lot of offers. I'm very blessed. I'm just glad I got the offer that I really wanted, and it stuck. So, you know, that's kind of his – his, his opinion right now of where he stands with USC. That's, you know, his feeling on the recruiting process right now, you know, is he going to take other official visits? Is he going to go start looking at schools once maybe the process is, is kind of take, you know, full gear and, and we get into the latter part of his senior season. I think it's very possible. I, I mean, I would expect it as USC fan. I think you just have to realize he's that good of a player, you know, Alabama, Florida, uh, all these schools, you know, Ohio State, you know, all these schools are going to be on him, and they're going to continue to recruit him very hard. But like I said, you know, it's going to be interesting if he's, you know, basically living with with David Sills. I mean, I don't know how how that's all playing out. But obviously, with uh, you know half that team from Red Lion going to this new high school, they're a pretty close knit community. You know, this is a close knit group of guys. And so I think, you know, as long as USC is good with David Sills, um, it probably puts them at at least at an advantage with Kenny Bigelow. Um, Doesn't mean he's a lock, you know, doesn't mean for sure, but it does mean that they have a a good position on his recruitment.
1: So, Gerard, you're saying he's a lock. All right, cool. The the USC fans (laughs) will like that. No, no, that's not what you said? (laughs)
2: <laughs> no, no. It, it, yeah, I'd love to hear that, but no. I mean, just the real, the real. To be realistic, you know, you have to just consider all the variables and and, and everything going on with his recruitment, and that he is that far away. The good thing for USC, you know, there's the, and and I it pretty much explained the best thing for USC, and it's you know David Sills and how he factors in the equation. But the other good thing is that Kenny Bigel actually came out to USC and unofficially visited and committed after that you get sometimes kids from back East that just kind of know about USC. They get the offer. They love the idea. You know, Alshon Jeffrey is a guy that, that did this committed sight unseen. Um, you know, the two kids we just talked about from Fresno T Shepard and Deontay Greenberry both committed in Notre Dame sight unseen. That's really silly i mean it's just silly it's it's it and, and it doesn't hold a lot of water so you know when you have a kid do that you go oh okay and even when he comes in for his unofficial visit afterwards you still kind of wonder this kid seems very impulsive you know and, and and the way the process is played out for him is very impulsive but kenny bigelow it's not necessarily that way he came out he saw usc in person he spent time out here with david sills you know David still has already been committed to USC so he had reasons legitimately that he felt like USC was the best school for him so you know that also adds in to you know USC's pull on him and kind of maintaining his commitment but as i said it's still going to be you know it's just going to be wide open i think by the time we get into january and you know Urban Meyer's trying to get in on an official visit and uh, you know, Nick Saban is is sending them 150 letters every hour from Alabama, and all this kind of crazy stuff that goes on. You know, he's going he's going to probably want to look around, and then it becomes a little more of a okay. Can USC just get that last official visit and hold on? And, of course, we'll come down to the 11th hour again, just like we did this last year and the year before where, you know, everybody's going, okay, what happens with Kenny Bigelow? Is he going to be a part of this class? Who's the plan B if Kenny Bigelow doesn't pan out? So, you know, that's just the way it goes. That's just recruiting. People got to realize that's the roller coaster you get on when you start following this stuff.
1: All right. Uh, Let's go to Gregory in the OC. He says, we know that SC has depth issues at tailback. And defensive line for the class of 2013 do you think the staff will have room for adding another tight end and fullback Uh, who would be logical early prospects at these positions he says and also thank you very much for the podcast I'm legally blind in the podcast and the interviews help me in keeping current with this Trojan football team Gregory and the OC well
2: that's awesome Gregory no problem at all with that Uh, As far as tight end goes, Marcus Baugh is really the only local tight end that that jumps out, uh, at least on film, as one of the top players locally. And he's definitely got a lot of offers from a lot of colleges all over. Um, You know, might actually be a little better on the defensive side of the ball. Kind of have to see how that, you know, develops with his recruitment and kind of how he develops physically as a player. Um, But he's very skilled and he's a very good player, you know, as a receiver, but also a very good player off the edge playing defense. USC has not offered him a scholarship. Whether they offer him a scholarship or not, I think, kind of remains to be seen. We have to see what happens with the tight end position at USC. You know, we've heard a lot of kind of buzz about guys at that position on the current roster moving over to defense. There was some talk maybe Junior Pome was going to play some defensive end. Obviously, Christian Thomas has some experience playing defensive end. They are stacked at tight end right now. I mean, they have got maybe some of the best-looking athletes on the team at tight end. When you go and you look at that tight end group, which, you know, the first week of spring ball, the guys were kind of standing around. We didn't see them really doing a whole lot outside of Pame uh, and, and Randall Telfer. But when you just look at those guys just standing around, you know, not even in pads, you're like, dang, that's a really good-looking group of guys. That's a group of guys that you could see all those guys playing in the league someday. So if one of those guys leaves and goes to another position, then I could see it. If they all stay at that position and then you bring in Jalen Cope Fitzpatrick on top of it, I say no. I, I say USC does not need a tight end. And really, I mean, you've got to have some numbers other places, especially defensive line, you know, maybe defensive back. Uh, you probably stay away from recruiting a tight end. And the same thing goes for fullback. I mean, right now – Uh, they've they've got kind of a little bit of a let's kind of experiment here at running back and find some different guys. You've got Trey Madden now playing running back. You know, George Farmer played running back there for a second. You might see a little bit of that with fullback, too. It kind of lends itself uh, to bringing players over from other positions. You had Charles Burks there for a while in fall camp. Now he's moved to defensive end. You had your little painter coming in as a supposed fullback. We'll see what happens with him if he plays more tailback or they actually just put him at fullback, you know, uh, uh, Simi Vaikite was a guy that played a little bit of fullback and then moved over to linebacker. He's off the team now. So that does open up a little bit of a spot and a possibility for someone to be uh, someone to be playing and coming in and and basically playing behind Soma Van who we didn't see last year. So, you know, the tight end position and the fullback position are kind of tied at the hip to some degree because of Red Ellison last year. And you know, you have those guys that can also kind of play that 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 F position, that kind of hybrid H back You know, they're a tight end that kind of can play as a a lead blocker in that uh, broken eye or in the eye formation. And so that kind of gives you a little more depth at the fullback position, too. So I I think it kind of depends a little more on, you know, the self-evaluation, what's on the roster right now, and seeing each of those guys that they have and seeing each of those guys stay at that position. Um, But really locally, the only guy that jumps out right now, it's still early, but the only guy that jumps out right now is Marcus Baugh. And uh, he's a huge USC fan. Uh, if, if USC would have offered him, you know, maybe a month or two ago, he might have committed on the spot. So, you know, they have some time with him just because he, you know, grew up such a big USC fan. Um, but, you know, at this point, he's got a lot of offers. So, as time goes on, if USC offers him late, it's going to become more of a battle. And obviously, you know, with the tight end position looking as it is now, it would be hard to to, to recruit a guy, uh, you know, just regardless because of you know the depth chart.
1: Okay, let's see. We're going to move on to Jeff Gerard. He has a few questions. I'll ask him one at a time. Uh, first one, what recruits does GM know of or think want to commit within the next one to three months? We know of the Max Brown situation, but any others, including guys that aren't early enrollees but just want to commit soon?
2: Um, no, it's, it, that, that's really kind of one of those things where, you know, it, it depends on unofficial visits and kind of how things play out. I'm not sure, you know, how many guys USC really feels comfortable with having commit before the summer. Um, You know, Max Brown, obviously, you know, Ty Isaac is a guy that's coming in the 6'3", 215-pound running back from Juliet Catholic High School in Illinois. He's coming on an unofficial visit here, uh, you know, late March. And that's a guy that, you know, as an early enrollee, maybe wants to get the recruiting process over sometime during the summer um, you know, Michael Hutchins is a guy that's kind of talked a little bit early on in his recruitment about committing early. Uh, he's coming on an unofficial visit March 31st, but I don't foresee him committing on the spot, but it is one of those things that you kind of always kind of leave the door open just depending on how things go. Kids come in, they get a practice, maybe they come in for the spring game, they're really excited. You never know really where those offers come from You know, at that point, too, you know, it's before the May evaluation period, and that's kind of where, when you start to get offers to local guys, that's where you start to get a little more, you know, a guy that may commit on the spot. So it's really more about who may get an offer locally and decide they want to commit on the spot. Marcus Ball could get an offer, you know, maybe sometime in in late April, early May, and decide, you know what, I'm going to commit to USC because USC is, you know, at at that point, maybe Christian Thomas moves to another position, maybe some shift there at the tight end position and opens things up for him a little bit. Um, you know, there are those players locally, I think, that are more apt to commit on the spot. And, but those are the guys that USC really has to evaluate and, and make sure they know who they're getting and, and who they need. Um, there are not a lot of ton of guys you know, that, that come to mind, but you know, there's, there's just a few guys that if they get an offer, and, and obviously that's you know, a real hypothetical because you just never know who's going to get an offer uh, during the May evaluation period when they see these kids in person.
1: Okay. Uh, Jeff also wanted to know any truth to the rumor that Sual Cravens could be an early enrollee himself. Possibility.
2: Early enrollees, and we talked about this on the podcast a couple weeks ago, really depends on summer school with a lot of these kids and you just don't know where they're going to actually stand until you get them on the other side of summer school, which is in September. And actually, like kind of early October is when we really start to hear, you know, whether a guy is not going to make it or a guy is going to make it. You know, uh, Scott Starr wasn't really going to be an early enrollee until kind of mid-summer where he decided he was going to take another economics class. Um, You know, we found out that Kelvin York, uh, the 5'11", 225-pound tailback from Fullerton College, wasn't going to be an early enrollee. Uh, and, And about October was when we started to hear that he had not passed the classes that he need over the summer to be able to get out in December. So that's really where that, that that's that kind of that point where we start to really get the, the, the contenders from the pretenders as to who's gonna be an early role lead. Quarterbacks, Max Brown, that's probably a given, I, I think, you know, those guys are usually set on the track very early in their high school careers. Um, so you kind of know, okay, they're, they're, they're legitimately serious about graduating early and they're probably going to be able to graduate early. But a lot of these other guys, you know, they start thinking about it as they get into their senior year. And that's just a lot different, you know, let's say like kind of the, 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 latter part of the junior year, sometimes it's too late. Sometimes these guys have to take multiple courses in summer school and it's just difficult to do, especially when they've got all these kids Camps and they've got passing leads to go to, and the next thing you know the, uh, they didn't pass the one class that they needed to actually you know be able to graduate early. And obviously, the online courses that kids were taking have been restricted more. You know, the BYU courses they can't take those like they used to be able to. So that's another thing that kind of comes into play with getting those last minute courses in. And it's sometimes, you know, the colleges or the high schools themselves don't allow it. They, you know, they have a policy against it. That's something that Ty Isaac is kind of going against. Julia Catholic has never had anyone graduate early from that high school and so he's kind of going against that policy trying to get out early and he seems confident that he's going to be able to do that but I don't know that there's actually been a final decision on that yet so really it's a lot of talk and a lot of you know, we just I think it's just better to get out on the other side of summer and then we can start to actually check up on these guys and say, okay, did, did you pass your classes? Are you still on track to do that? And as you get into the, the early part of fall, you actually see who passed those summer school classes, so who's actually ready to get out and, and be able to to be able to enroll early. So, Phil so Cravens is a guy that could, he's pretty good uh, in terms of uh, his grade point average, and I hear there's a possibility if he takes the right summer school classes that he could have the opportunity to graduate early.
1: Okay, and then one last one from Jeff. You mentioned Ty Isaac. He heard that Ty Isaac and Michael Hutchins uh, could be taking unofficial visits soon. Any other recruits that you have heard coming in to visit? Probably he said pertains more to out-of-state guys that want to check out USC over the spring and summer.
2: Um, No, I mean, those are the two real big guys. I mean, obviously Michael Hutchins isn't. Um, an out-of-state guy. You know, Greg Bryan has talked about coming in for an unofficial visit. I think if he comes in, it'll probably be for the camp. Um, there's going to be the kind of those handful of guys that come in for the Rising Stars camp. But, you know, everybody's coming for the Rising Stars camp in, in April, and then you get closer to May, and then you start to hear, well, this guy may not make it. And then you get into actual June, and it's been, you know, <laughs> it starts to become, uh, uh, you know, the, the list shrinks a little bit. So it, it, we just kind of have to see who's – Really interested, in who who has the you know the the money to be able to make it out. Obviously, times are are hard right now financially for a lot of people. So you know, making that trip out here from the East Coast is difficult. But uh, you know, there's a few guys. You know, Carl Lawson is a guy that's a a six-three, two hundred and forty-five pound defensive end that wants to come out and and unofficially visit USC and uh, from Georgia, and and I hear he's got some you know some some legitimate interest in USC, probably. Kind of an Auburn, you know, lean right now. A lot of people feel like that's maybe the school to beat for him. Uh, maybe he wants to stay down south. I think is you know top five or or more of the SEC type schools, Clemson and Auburn. Um, but but still a guy that might legitimately be able to make it out and, and an unofficial visit to USC. Maybe a camp situation could definitely change his mind a little bit on that. Um, I, I think you know uh, a, a guy that's uh, a big time running back uh, recruit for USC that. I think everybody would be really excited if they were be able to get him out for an unofficial visit um, would be Alvin Kamara from Norcross, Georgia, uh, who's just, you know, big-time kind of, you know, Reggie Bush-style running back, that guy that would really be the speed back uh, for USC in this class. You know, everybody's talking about the power backs. He might be that guy that would be the good combo back to be able to compliment, you know, some of these guys like a Ty Isaac or, you know, a Justin Davis, a, you know, six one, two 205 205-pound running back from Stockton. So you've got, you know, some of those guys have a possibility to come in. Um, you know, Thomas Tyner, who's uh, committed to Oregon, six foot two pounds running back from Beaverton, Oregon, a uh, big-time track guy, even though he's got good size, coming down for an unofficial visit to USC. So there's, there's, there's that handful of guys that will come in, and at this point, a lot of guys are just talking about unofficial visits. We still have to kind of see who's legitimately coming in uh, to camp at USC during the summer.
1: All right, Gerard. Then we have uh, one final question from Mitchell. It's kind of an interesting one. I thought you might like it. I would like to know what a normal day is like for you as a recruiting guru. Is it phone calls all day to sources, and quotes, or watching film or visiting high schools and making connections? Simply put. What does it take to be someone like you who knows all the insides to recruiting and the high school athletes? Patience. <laughs> First and foremost, patience.
2: Yeah, you spend a lot of time on the phone, you know, during the day and uh, just kind of keeping up on things. Um, you know, you obviously gotta write your stories. Uh you can't get a hold of the kids usually until after school, so you spend, you know, most of your evening trying to contact kids, which is probably the most difficult part and, and most frustrating part. Um, not so much this time of year, but as you start to get into the season and everything, you know, kids are harder and harder to get a hold of. Uh, and you've got to have content, so you're always kind of scrambling and you don't, you know, get whoever you need to get on the phone and you've got to start to think, other ideas for content for you guys, you know, to be able to read, spend a lot of time on the message boards, answering questions and, and, you know, kind of being on top of what people want to know. Also. Um, I'm not just a recruiting guru kind of do a lot of stuff with the team as well. So, you know, sometimes we'll have features like spring ball practice, um, and, and it's ball central, you know, that we have to be able to, to update and, and stay on top of that stuff and stuff. That's on the front page, you know, editing stuff, doing photos, um, yeah, and then there's and then there's just the time where you're going out every weekend where you're going to a passing tournament. and It seems like during you know, the off season nowadays, there's a camp or a tournament every weekend that you can go to. So you try to stay on top of those and try to get out to those a lot. Um, it's 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 seven days a week pretty much, and and you know you're kind of always on call too because you never know when something's going to break. So it's uh, never far from your computer, never never away from your phone ever. Um, so it's, 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 a, it's a grind, you know, to some extent, uh, but it's it's fun and, you know, exciting. It's, it's hard to describe what uh, a, a, a regular day is, but, I mean, that's kind of what it is. That's kind of the routine, you know. You get up, you know, early in the morning and you start, you know, making your calls. You start getting a lot of calls. And, you know, your phone starts ringing pretty early in the morning. And then, um, you know, you get into the late afternoon. You can start calling kids back east and, uh, you know, getting kids, getting kids a little later, you know, in the afternoon out here in California. Um, and then, you know, the different times of the year, you obviously have some different things that go on. Um, this time of year, like I said, camps, passing leagues, that starts to, you know, become like a bigger deal. So you start to focus more on those things and being able to see some of these kids in person that you haven't seen before. Um, you know, as far as tape evaluation, that's just – it's whatever – tape comes in front of you you know sometimes it's just stuff on YouTube that uh you know somebody says hey check out this kid you, you know you pop it in and you go oh, okay cool sometimes it's just a matter of you know reading the story and saying hmm this kid just got an offer from such and such college I want to find film on him I just you know I want to kind of see how he looks and and uh, you know obviously if the kid mentions USC somewhere along the line in the story uh you you know you're gonna have to kind of brush up on him a little bit so you know first thing you want to do see what he looks like on film see how good of a football player he is see if he's a guy that you could kind of imagine yeah this is an S E caliber guy looking at his film and then you have to start doing that background on him and and you know every, trying to know everything you can about him to see if from a recruiting standpoint You know, he's a guy that's going to be also legitimately interested in USC. If USC has a legitimate shot at him, USC will offer guys from back east that you never heard of before, and sometimes it's really difficult to be able to, you know, you don't want to spin your wheels on everybody that USC necessarily offers from Georgia or from South Carolina, you know, because it's just not all those guys are going to be legitimate. Guys are actually going to come in and officially visit USC. So um, you have to filter as well. You, you get a lot of stuff, man. I mean, the amount of rumors, you know, at this point in time in the year, it's, it's not as bad. But when we get into, like, December, January, especially right around and after the Army Old American game, it's just ridiculous how many emails and things and stuff I get from people that are, quote, unquote, inside sources that are just putting stuff out there. And it's just most of it is bogus. And people just hear things, and they've got a cousin's friend's brother's sister who's the nurse at the school, and she heard that such-and-such was going to commit to USC and was already a silent verbal. There's a lot of nonsense like that that comes along. So you have to be able to have good sources to bounce stuff off of and decipher what's legitimate. And it's always one of those things where you have to get sources on both sides of the fence. A lot of guys out there don't do it. I read a lot of stuff and see a lot of stuff that gets reported where someone's just got – an inside source, a, a one perspective of a recruitment. And that's just not how recruiting is. It's, it's totally three-dimensional. And for every kid, you've got multiple sources around that kid that have, you know, different perspectives on, on you know, whether it be the, the college coaches that are recruiting and the high school coaches that are, you know, having these college coaches come on campus the administration at the high school, then you've got parents and, you know, everybody's kind of got a different perspective on things. Some of these people have agendas and have things that, you know, they, they kind of want to be able to put stuff out there a certain way. They want to be able to control the process a certain way. So you have to be able to look at it from as many different viewpoints as possible. And sometimes it's difficult because some of these kids, they just keep it close to the vest and the people that are really close to them that have the good information, keep it close to the vest. So, Nobody really knows. You know, a guy like maybe uh, Kyle Murphy. I I don't know if anybody really knew. A lot of people had him going to Stanford for a long time, and that was kind of the the feel. But I think down at the the 11th hour there, you know, kind of after his official visit, I I don't know if anybody really, really knew, you know, where he was going. I I think that there was obviously some feel. I think, you know, the talk was that mom really wanted him to go to USC, but maybe dad was pushing Stanford more. And, but it's, you know, one of those things that, I mean, there's really some of that stuff is hindsight, but you know, when it comes down to the 11th hour of things, sometimes nobody really knows. And so you're always trying to plan ahead to be in that position where you do have those sources that can come through and you know, okay, this guy's been right the whole time throughout this recruiting process. He's going to be able to get us that information. So, you know, sometimes it's a, it's, you know, five, six months, seven months of just Planning that and getting in that, and that's and that's has nothing to do with actually writing a story. you know I think a lot of the day is spent you know getting ahead of things, and sometimes it't means nothing. it has nothing to do with actually writing a story, which you know again part of the frustration, part of the part of just being patient, you know you do a lot of work to be able to write that story in january uh and but it's not you know anything to show for in in May or, or June.
1: All right, Gerard. We don't want to give away too many trade secrets, but great stuff, great analysis there. And you uh, at home, you can't call recruits like Gerard can. You have to be a reporter if you're out there as a USC fan or a booster. That's a big no-no from the NCAA. So don't try to copy that. Don't do this at home.
2: <laughs> yeah, don't just like randomly decide I'm going to be a recruiting analyst and have a blog and start calling kids randomly. Uh, unfortunately, there's probably way, way too many kids or way too many writers quote-unquote that are out there calling kids right now and and it 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 definitely uh it it just you know kids i can't you know they have so many people trying to call them and get a hold of them and want information and obviously not everybody you know probably conducts themselves as professionally as you know i would hope they would um just judging from some of the feedback i get from kids but uh, it it makes it it makes it even harder, and and so it's one of those things that you know, hey, you know everybody can do it, and yeah, I can you know write a little story and just get quotes and have people go to my blog because I'm talking to a kid or what have you. And, you, and sometimes you get two people that are just close to a kid, you know, and 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 they want to kind of control and be a. Uh, uh a little bit of a handler so they decide they're going to start you know putting stuff out on twitter and facebook it's a whole different thing nowadays with the social media and reporting on it some you know sometimes the kids themselves actually are really reporting on the process themselves more than you can report on the process necessarily because you know while you can articulate it better i mean i went to journalism school and got a degree and everything at the end of the day, the information is the information. If the kid's putting up on Facebook, then you know, whatever. You get scooped by Facebook. I mean, that's happened <laughs> <asked> before. <laughs> so you kind of have to roll with those punches too. So uh, it's yeah, it's a whole it's a whole thing. Like I said, the the, the main thing is you know, it's this is 360 degrees. I mean, it's you know, 360 degrees, 365 days a year type thing.
1: All right. Well, Gerard, we appreciate you coming on the show and uh, sharing all your insight, answering the questions. We haven't had the Trojan Blast for a few weeks, so it's good to get you back and uh, talking all about USC recruiting. So thanks for coming on.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: All right, everyone else, thank you for tuning in for this special edition of the Peristyle Podcast, the Trojan Blast. You can check it out on PeristylePodcast.com, and don't forget on what on Thursday, we'll have uh, our own Johnny Friedman doing his fourth and goal podcast, so check that out. That'll also be on uscfootball.com and PeristylePodcast.com. But for Gerard Martinez, this is Ryan Abraham signing out for the Peristyle Podcast. Thanks very much for tuning in, we'll talk to you next time.